Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Ephesians. We'll be uh, kind of launching in uh, out of chapter 4 this morning. I hope you're having a great Lord's Day so far. And uh, remember that we'll not have any uh, services uh, tonight. And uh, we had a great uh, time with Trunk or Treat the other night. I think they said we gave out 57,000 pieces of candy. So all the dentists are really happy about that. <clears throat> We've got several of them in our church. And, um, but we probably had, I don't know, four or 5,000 people come through. Maybe some of you are visiting today who came through the other night. If so, we're glad to have you. Or maybe you're watching online. Father, bless now your word. Thank you for being able to sing and think about your grace uh, today. Thank you, Lord, for what this day means as we, Lord, um, are observing Reformation Sunday as well and the beginning of the recovery of grace in the life of your church. And Father, we pray that you would help us to proclaim that message to those who need Christ, but Lord, to ourselves in Christ, as we've been singing about our union with you today, we ask you to, Father, help us to begin to understand the implications of what grace means in our lives, Lord, and how we live daily. And I pray, Lord, that this message would be a piece of uh, that puzzle to help us, Lord, put life together as you would have us to. And we'll thank you for helping us along the way as our shepherd. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, this week, <clears throat> a well-known company changed its name. The move was probably done for a variety of reasons, among them the fact there's been a lot of bad PR around the, their current name. But when asked the reason, the founder of the company said, in part, we've gone from desktop to web to phones, from text to photos to video, but this isn't the end of the line. The next platform and medium will be even more immersive and embodied internet where you're in the experience, not just looking at it, and we call this the metaverse. Much of this has to do with the hope of... Um, the founder of having one billion people logging on to a host of new platforms, many, many dealing with virtual reality. That's what he means by it being more immersive and that you are part of the experience, in the experience. And of course, the company is Facebook and the founder is Mark Zuckerberg and the new company name is Meta and that is their symbol. It is interesting that he used the word Meta. Originally, this word was from a Greek preposition meaning with or among or on the side of or after. I think his symbol is trying to get at the idea of infinity. But in the Bible, attached to other words, meta is often associated with the idea of change. And so in our language, we think about words like metamorphosis, the change of a form, or metanoia in the Bible, which is translated repentance, means to have a change of mind, metanoia. Well, as we continue today with our series, True Lines, we begin to move into the heart of, of how we, who are the followers of Jesus, are to live. And one key thing we can say about it is that we have been given grace by God that is to lead to change. Change to think and to live like Jesus. So let's get started and begin to see where this will lead us in our daily lives 
from the book of Ephesians. We'll be reading out of chapter 4, and we'll be talking about some specific things today about learning to begin to live life. So in this part of this series, we're going to get down to very practical matters about how we live, and then we'll be moving into other aspects of the true lines of our faith of what we believe. So Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Down in verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. Then picking up in verse 17 through 24, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, that would be the non-Christians, in the futility or the emptiness of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil, uh, deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, Ephesians is such a powerful letter. It's a transformative letter in my own personal life. And one key theme that emerges in the letter to the Ephesians is that being a follower of Jesus means change. Unless you've had a stillbirth, that is, you weren't really saved, and you really had new birth, coming to know Christ, it's going to lead to change. So we are changed in our status, first of all. That's why I asked Bill to read Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. What a beautiful statement about how we stand in Christ, that we are His chosen people. We've been given the Spirit as a deposit. We've been redeemed. We've been adopted. All those wonderful words that are there reminds us when we become followers of Jesus, we are are in the family of God, and our standing will never change in relationship to the Lord. We've been singing about that somewhat this morning. But this reality of who I am in Christ, this standing that I have with God, Again, it will lead to change. So we're changed in our status. This will lead to change in how we live. And Ephesians relates this truth by giving us several contrasts between believers and unbelievers. And one section where we find this contrast is here in chapter 4. So our standing is that we are safe in Christ. The Reformation we celebrate beginning today teaches that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Grace alone is what God has given to us. We take that into our lives through faith. In Christ alone, He is the only way of salvation. So once we've had that, then it leads to change. And so let me recap again where we've been, where we're going. In our story, we've developed so far over now 15 messages. This is the 16th. Our story of our faith that was Once delivered to us, Jude writes in his letter, 
We have learned that our faith has a framework. There are true lines drawn for us, thus the title of this series. This faith has been handed down to us. It is centrally about having a relationship that is eternal with the true and living God by receiving the gift of eternal life. And centrally, that is about Jesus, knowing and experiencing the person of Jesus. We've been singing about the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is powerful because Jesus is real. And he is here with us, and he's come to change us as well as to relate us to the Father and give us life. This truth has been recorded in the Holy Scriptures, which have been, writ- which have been written, preserved, and translated for us. We spent three messages on that. And all of the Bible is God's Word. It's God's revelation to us. And the truth is that the great eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who has existed forever in love, he chose to create free beings like us, knowing that they would choose to sin against him. In our sin, we have learned that our fallenness, uh, that we've been affected in every way, and that if someone greater than us does not act for our good, we were doomed for destruction. And the good news is that God has chosen to act. He's chosen not to wipe us out. He has chosen to give us grace in Christ. And in his grace, he calls us, forgives us, shows us mercy, sets us free, brings us into his family. And that's where we've been so far over these past 15 messages. They're all available online if you would like to look them up. And last week, then, we built upon that, saying that now that we're in Christ, that experience of when we become followers of Jesus, not only has our status changed as far as our acceptance with God, but also we've been given a new heart, right? Renewed minds, and our wills have been set free. They were bound by sin, and now we have newly empowered wills. And so what we are in principle as God's children is now to be fleshed out in our lives as we change. We are set free from the bondage we were in now to become like Jesus. Now, working this out in real life, that's where we are now in this series, calls for understanding the game plan and executing What is the plan? You know, yesterday, college football teams uh, competed all over the country. My team was off yesterday. No stress yesterday. But a lot of teams played. Clemson played and won. And they, uh, I heard that. So, you know, and every team has, has its playbook, right? The players have been schooled on the playbook. The quarterbacks or the defensive leaders, they get the plays from the sidelines, or the quarterback may have them on one of those wristbands. The play is called either in the huddle or when they're at the line of scrimmage and the defensive plays are called there very often. And every person knows the play. Every player knows the part they are to play. And when the ball is snapped, execution kicks in, doesn't it? It's almost second nature to these guys because they've been drilling this and drilling this and drilling this into their hearts and into their minds. It's almost second nature. Well, as we think about our lives in Christ, in our case, in my case, this is how I can begin to put this transforming grace into practice in my life. I must understand the plan and how how to develop it in my life and how to execute it. And so we're talking about how we go about doing that in our lives. And so today, I just want to flesh out three things with you about that as we kind of get started with these very practical things, kind of dealing with big pictures right now, new heart, new mind, 
Freed wills. So how do we begin now to put this into practice? So are you with me so far? We're going all, all the way back over here. Jude says we have a faith that's been once delivered to us. We cannot alter it. We cannot change it. That faith is centrally about Jesus. And that God is redeeming the world through him. Making everything new ultimately. And we can be related to God through him and have eternal life as a personal relationship. How God goes about that and how that uh, unfolds in history, how that's to play out down through time, how that's to work out in my life, how I'm to know how to live, that's recorded for us in God's word. Right? It's been written, translated, handed down, preserved for us. It is God's written revelation, those 66 books. It's God's word. We've learned that... uh, The story then is that God made us, knowing we would sin. We did sin. We fell into sin. I've been affected by that in in all of my life. And we talked about those alienations between us and God and us and others within ourselves. God could have wiped us all out, but he didn't. He said, I'm going to save a people for myself, begin to make new citizens for the new heaven and new earth. I'm going to provide for them to be saved by sending my son to die, to be buried, to rise again. And when they trust him as their savior, they are brought into my family, they're adopted, and I had this plan for them before they were ever born, but this is my plan for them. And so they're adopted, redeemed, forgiven, justified, all those words that we've looked at. And now I give them a new heart and a mind and will to be transformed to become like Jesus so that ultimately we'll be in that new heaven and earth together perfected. So that's where God's going with all this. So right now we're at the stage and we're living here and we're being transformed and being changed to be like Jesus. So that's, that's the big game plan. How do we begin to execute that in our lives now as followers of Jesus? Well, first, having experienced the grace of God in salvation we're going to execute this, we must now begin to live out the goal of grace. We've got to live out the goal of grace. That is, God's goal for my life must become the consuming passion of my life. If God's goal for my life is for me to be like Jesus, and it is, then that must become the consuming passion of my life. And when we become followers of Jesus, we don't get a list of rules we're to keep in order to please God or to be quote-unquote, good Christians. That's not to be the controlling metaphor for my life, and I'll talk about that as we go through this message. Rather, what is to control my life is that now that I'm a believer, a disciple of Jesus, I have begun a journey to be like Him. That is, like Him, the perfect man, the perfect person. In my fallenness, I've fallen short of what God intended. This world is fallen and broken. He's remaking. I'm a new citizen of a coming kingdom. The goal is that I will be like Jesus, right? The perfect man. Jesus said, follow me. And so I must live out the goal of that grace in my life. And so we're reminded of this truth in a couple of places here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We were called by Christ to be made new and now to be like Christ. And walking or living a life worthy is one of the key themes of Ephesians. In verse 13, he's talking about the work of the church. 
and it's to be exemplified in my life so that together exercising my gifts, being taught by God's people, living in the community of faith, here's what's to happen until we all reach unity, verse 13, in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And what does it say? Read it with me. And become what? Mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. Down in verse 17, he says that Gentiles, the non-believers, they don't live like this, and you're not to live this way. You've learned a different kind of a life. And look down in verse 20. Here's key. Here's what's key today on this. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard our translations say about Christ, but a better translation is when you learned Christ and were taught in him or heard him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. That is, this is about a person that I know. I've heard Christ. I have heard him. He has called me. And now I'm to be made like him in my life. That's the goal. And verse 24, look at the high calling we have. And to put on the new self Created to be like who? Created to be like who? God in true righteousness and holiness. You ever thought about your life? That God has saved you so you'll be like God. Not that you'll be God. Not that you'll have God's powers. Not that you're omniscient. All, none of those things. But you'll be like God in your character. That's the goal that God has for our lives. And so we have to begin to live out of that goal in true righteousness and holiness. And that's seen in the perfect life of Jesus. And so the template for my life now, the central goal of my life now is that by God's grace, I become increasingly like the Lord Jesus. And again, we hear this truth throughout the New Testament. Let me just give you a few other examples where you can, uh, can think about this with me this morning. So Paul talks about this in relationship to his own life in Philippians chapter 3. In verse 10. So here's Paul. He gets saved. He's the guy who went around killing Christians. Right? He experiences the grace of God. His standing with God changes. Now he tells us what the goal is for his life and how he's pursuing that. And so he says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. I want to know Christ. Not I want to know about Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes. Now, Paul already knows Christ, does he not? He's already saved. But he's saying he wants to really know Jesus more. He's saying, I want to be like Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Isn't that wonderful? Paul saying the Lord called me, he set his heart on me, he took hold of me. And now I'm pressing on in my life so that I can be like him. Down in verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's the goal. He's pursuing it. He tells the Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. 
So the goal is for God to make me holy. That's what the word sanctify means, through and through, to the point that I'm blameless before God. So you hear Paul's comments about his life. He knew the goal. God took hold of him. Now the goal is for Paul to become like him. And God, Paul says, I'm pursuing it, but I rest in the fact that he is working in me to that end. And he looked at life through that framework. He had that purpose. He had come to know Christ. And so he says in Philippians 1.21, you remember this wonderful verse? This is one you should memorize. Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live, what, is Christ. And to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ. That is, as I'm living, I want to be so caught up in Christ that it is Christ living through me, but also that I'm becoming like Christ in my life. For to me, to live, that's what fueled his life. For to me, to live is Christ. It was his consuming passion. And so now that we are saved people, adopted as God's children, destined to be fully made to be like Jesus in our characters, we should get up every day with that on our radar as more than, say, Tom Brady gets up knowing his playbook and striving to have a perfect season. You know, all of his life is poured into that. And people pour their lives into a lot of different things. But you and I as Christians, our chief goal is much higher than any earthly goal And that is we should be pursuing that goal more fervently than anything else in life. And that is to be like Jesus. And we should know there's nothing more important for me to be doing in my life than that goal. So we must understand the goal and pursue the goal. That's what God's plan is for your life. God's plan isn't for your life to learn a few little things about the faith or learn few commandments and try to strive to do these particular things so you'll be a good little Christian. No, God's design for your life and my life is to totally remake us. And that's what we should be pursuing in our lives day in and day out. Secondly, as we begin to think about this, we must then believe the truth about believers. Believe the truth about what the, the Bible says about us. And we talked last week about the fact that three new things are true about us. And these are key. If God's goal is for me to be changed to be like Jesus, metamorphosized, has he provided a way for that to take place? Yes, he has. He has given us new hearts, renewed minds, and empowered wills, which we did not have before we were Christians, and which those outside of Christ do not have. Do you believe that about yourself? We talked about it last week. I talked about embracing that. I talked about getting up every day in your life of saying, I am secure in Christ. That's never going to change. I have eternal life. And now God has given me a new heart and a mind and a freed will so that I can pursue the goal of becoming like Jesus. Do you believe that reality in your life and that unbelievers do not have that? This is a matter of our faith. And he tells us to utilize this reality to build our lives. We are to exercise faith that these realities are true, and I act upon that truth as God would have me to. This is the true build back better plan, not Joe Biden's. This is the true one. 
The Build Back Better plan, just trying to wake you up there a little bit. We're being built back better. And so we read here in Ephesians chapter 4, 17 and 18 again, that unbelievers, they don't have this, this capacity. He says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the emptiness of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. They're imprisoned in darkness. But in Christ, our minds are no longer darkened. Our minds have the power to be renewed. And so Paul says in verse 22 of Ephesians 4, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new, what? In the attitude of your minds. And so Paul is saying you have that power within you to to have that work take place. You have a, a new supernatural thing that's happened in your life and you, should, you can grow in that. And you need to give your wills toward that in your life. Your wills are empowered now to move in that direction. And he talks about this using different um, ways of presenting it for us in the New Testament. So if you go to Romans chapter 12, and I hope you'll follow along and mark these places in your Bible. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. We're called to act upon that truth. We have wills that have power. And Paul says in Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And so that truth in Romans is presented to us by talking about our union with Jesus and his death and his resurrection. We were singing about that in the song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. What a beautiful song about our union with Christ. And when you go to Romans chapter 6 in verses 5 through 14, and I don't have time to read all of it with you this morning, but Paul talks about this idea that in verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. That is, in Christ, we have died to who we were, been buried and risen, just as Christ was crucified, buried, and rose again. And we have that power. And so he says, therefore, in verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So that's another way of looking at it. I was dead. I've been raised. I have a new power within me to offer myself to God now in righteousness. And so in all of this, the Spirit of God is now working in our lives, empowering us, helping us along. And we've got to embrace this truth about ourselves. This is how we change. This is how we grow. And this is a matter of our faith. This is part of the true lines that frame how I view myself and how I seek each day if I'm his disciple. And Peter talked about it, and again, it's on the screen. I have time to read it, talking about we have this divine and precious promises by which we can become partakers of the divine nature. You know, when wars are fought, great leaders are very keen on making sure the troops are supplied. In fact, it takes more people to supply the troops than there are troops in the trenches. And the supply chain is the key to success. 
Provisions are put ahead of the troops where they can be, so they can be taken care of, so they can renew their strength as they move on to the next goal. And the Bible presents us with the fact that as believers, we're in a spiritual battle to grow to be like Christ. It's a battle because I'm not yet fully mature, I'm not perfected yet, and all of this is taking place in a hostile environment in a fallen world. This world is not our home, nor our friend. But our great Father has given us what we need within to make progress. And He is at work out ahead of us in the world to help us grow, to become more like Jesus. And we've got to embrace this truth and act on it in faith each day. And then as we move forward in faith, I want to wrap this up. Knowing the game plan, knowing and trusting in the provision God has given to us, we can begin to discipline ourselves for growth and change. That's the third point. We can begin to discipline ourselves for growth and for change in our lives. So we must live out the goal. We must believe we've been empowered to do that with new hearts, minds, and wills, and the Spirit is working within us to that end. And then we have to act on that in our daily lives. That's the third thing, with discipline. Now, let me give you a caveat here before we, uh, we apply this this morning. Before I get into this matter of discipline and change, I want to give you one important admonition to remember. We must remember, resist the human temptation to fall into a performance mentality. When we become Christians, we're given grace, we dwell in grace, grace will never diminish, he giveth more grace. But sometimes people think, well, yes, I trusted Jesus, but now I have to perform to to keep his approval, to have a blessed life. And they think they have to keep working each day to keep the slate clean, that if they don't perform, God will not bless them. I find this in so many Christians' lives, because so many people have been not taught the way they need to be taught on this. And that understanding is not true. Jerry Bridges in his little book, Transforming Grace, which I recommend to you, and I hope we'll get some in the bookstore. He brings this out well for us. Listen to what he said. Jesus paid the debt for all our sins, past, present, and future. As Paul said in Colossians 2.13, God forgave us all our sins. We don't have to start all over again and try to keep the slate clean. Listen, there is no more slate. God is not keeping score, granting or withholding blessings on the basis of performance. The score has already been permanently settled by Christ. We so often miss this dimension of the gospel. So the point, the caveat here is that as we begin to talk about disciplining ourselves for growth, listen, We do this from the basis that we already have victory in Christ. It's already ours. We've accepted that. That will not change. We are free in Christ. We don't have to keep trying to perform on a, a, try to keep the slate clean or God won't bless us. He's he's not ever going to stop blessing us in our lives. And now we can work from that basis of the victory that we have. And so in Colossians chapter 2, Paul talks about this, and I'm going to summarize this and wrap this up. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, 
Continue to live your lives in Him. Here's the union with Christ. Rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Down in verse 10. In Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. That is, God stripped away what we were and our lostness. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. When you were saved, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him. There's that union throughout your faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And chapter 3, 1 through 3 then tells us, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The point is, is we live from the basis of victory in Christ. I'm accepted. That's not going to change. I don't have to perform every day to keep the slate clean. I then can grow now in freedom with a renewed heart, mind, and will toward what he wants me to be as I put on these disciplines in my life. And we have several of those right here in Ephesians. And I'll come back and pick up next week. We'll talk about these, about prayer, submission to, and fellowship with believers. The Word, and that's the one we'll really get to next week. Confession in our lives as well as another one. A template for your life. You know, as I close out today, I I told you that in this series, I'm just going to be very practical and transparent with you. And I probably need to update this, but Several years ago, I I wrote out a life organization plan for my life. Stays in a place where I pull it out and look at it from time to time. And here's my mission statement about how I want to live my life. I want to live to glorify God in every aspect of my existence. I want to worship, serve, and live for Him in my total life. Therefore, my personal dedication and effort begins with worship of and fellowship with Him. It flows out into the loving and serving my family next, then likewise following the body of Christ, and ultimately is extended to the world. In all of life, I want to advance the inbreaking of His kingdom and the display of His glorious character. I want to display his character in my life as I'm growing to be like him. And I remind myself of this. I understand the goal, the plan. Do I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But I understand that in Christ I am secure. Amen? And if you don't know that, I pray you would embrace that today if you're a believer. If you're not a Christian, I challenge you to come to the Lord. He'll forgive you, adopt you, set you free, never let you go. I know now that he's given me a new mind and heart and will and his goal is for me to grow to be like Jesus. I do that from the basis of the victory I have in him, that I'm secure. And now I want to give everything within me in my life through discipline that we're going to talk about to grow to be like him. And some of the tools of that are the prayer, my church, the word, confession, and we'll flesh these things out as we go.
in our lives in the days ahead. And over time, as we live like this, we will see growth in our lives.